Now you know I love you, and I'm always super stoked to have you along, but especially this time, because today is a very special day here on Blabbit in the Bluegrass. How so? Well, we are debuting a red-hot new feature known as the Exceptional Educator. Yep, you guessed it. From time to time, we will be spotlighting a special teacher here in the Commonwealth who has made a profound impact on the lives of his or her students. And in this debut feature, we will have Miss Suzanne Conkle. She is a fifth grade teacher from Trimble County's Bedford Elementary School, and we look forward to chatting with her about her experiences in the classroom as well as her most gratifying moments. And I know that regardless of whether or not you have any educational background or experience, you will appreciate what she has to offer her students and you'll thoroughly enjoy hearing what she has to say. So we'll check in with Suzanne shortly and afterwards we will enjoy a few swigs of wine with my man Bill Patterson from Pulaski County's truly unique Cave Hill Winery just outside Somerset in Eubank, Kentucky. They have a wide array of great flavors for us to sip on and plus a very special winerita machine. Now, if you've never seen or sipped from a winerita machine, you're definitely going to want to hear about this, and you will be quite deprived if you don't. So, let's prepare to get an education accompanied with a little hint of wine. I'm told the two go hand in hand. So, it's episode 13 of season 2. Blabbing in the Bluegrass starts right now. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Irvin to Erlanger, Crestview to Crestwood, we've got you covered on Blabbit in the Bluegrass, exploration and celebration of all things Kentucky. I'm Sam Moore, and along with my dog Jojo, who is peacefully relaxing right here behind me, too shy to make her voice heard at the moment, but the two of us welcome you to the lovely and luxurious North Quail Motel in Henderson KY. Gang, we're going to have a blast today chatting with a teacher and a winery owner. Now that is an award-winning combination, if I do say so myself. Suzanne Conkle is our first exceptional educator to be featured. She is a fifth grade teacher from Bedford Elementary School in Trimble County. Now, if you would like to nominate a special teacher for this exceptional educator spotlight that we'll be running from time to time, all you gotta do is drop me a line, okay? It's bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com, B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. You can also message me via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. I know a lot of great educators out there, but not all of them. No, not even close. So I welcome your input 
anybody that you'd like to nominate for this all-new exceptional educator spotlight, that would be deeply appreciated. And after we talk to Suzanne, we're going to stroll to Eubank, Kentucky, in Pulaski County, right outside Somerset, where we will find Cave Hill Vineyard and Winery. They have an assortment of great-tasting wines to choose from. Of course, that winerita machine we mentioned a second ago. And it's also a very popular wedding destination. And we'll find out why with owner Bill Patterson coming up here momentarily. But before we chat with Suzanne and Bill, I have yet another Bluegrass Brain Buster ready for you. Now, folks, believe it or not... There is only one monument south of the Ohio River dedicated to Union soldiers who lost their lives in the Civil War. I want to know which Commonwealth community houses this lone monument. Again, believe it or not, there is only one monument south of the Ohio River dedicated to Union soldiers who lost their lives in the Civil War. Name the Commonwealth community which houses this lone monument. You be thinking about that while we get an earful of both of our guests, and I will have the answer for you in the program's final segment. Good luck. Brighton in the Bluegrass proudly presents an exceptional educator. In our debut exceptional educator, we are featuring, featuring a uh, lovely lady who actually happens to be my second cousin, not that I'm biased at all or anything, but she has been a longtime teacher in the Trimble County School System, Bedford Elementary to be exact. And I know that she will set the bar quite high for any of the other educators that we will uh, interview in the future as part of this segment. But she was kind enough to join us today and speak of her experiences in the classroom, lessons she's learned, gratifying accomplishments and all that fun stuff. So. Let's put our hands together for the very first teacher I have ever interviewed on Blabbing in the Bluegrass. It's none other than Suzanne Conkle. Oh, thank you, Sam. It's good <laughs> to be here. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad to have you. And uh, I know it's been a, a long day at school, but uh, this will be a, a fun way to cap it off, hopefully. And uh, I know you're still in the classroom, too, so... <laughs> and yeah, this is the cherry on top of my cake this evening. I'm happy to be here with you, Sam. Look at you. It, it, it's a lot quieter now with the kids not there. But, very, uh, very peaceful. Very peaceful indeed. Now, I know you've been teaching over 20 years. How long has it been to be exact? Well, actually, Sam, it's been 32 years. This is 32. my 32nd year. I got, so you started when you were seven. You got it. Uh -huh. you, you you know your math skills well. Because <laughs> you're 39 now, so. Exactly. <laughs> you were you were one of those child prodigies. And you you are exactly correct. <laughs> Wise <just> man. <laughs> real real young. Well, we're sure glad to have you. We can't wait to hear about your uh, life story. Well, a lot of it. We won't <laughs> we won't pry through <laughs> all of it. But first off, tell us, Suzanne, how exactly you discovered you're calling to become a teacher. Well, you say the word discover, and it really was a discovery to me, Sam. Um, I had never thought about being a teacher. I loved school. Um, I, I loved teachers. I admired all my teachers, and, and I was always kind of amazed by them and, and the things that they could do in the classroom. 
but when I set out to go to college or set off to go to college, um, a business was actually where I thought I was going to go. <laughs> um, my father owned an insurance agency and I had worked for him, you know, a lot of the summers. Um, right leading into college. And um, as I went into college, I really thought I would be a business major and then maybe go on and, and take over the family insurance business. Um, but when I got, I went to Hanover College and it's a liberal arts college. And that first freshman year, you, you had just basic requirements that you take. We really didn't have to choose a major until into that sophomore year. And I had joined its sorority and I was just hanging out with some sorority sisters um, my sophomore year. And they said, hey, we're going to go to this meeting on introduction to education. And why don't you just come along with us? Because then we're going to go out to eat and, you know, do some fun things. So yeah, you're like, if nothing out. else, I'll get a meal out of it. Exactly. So I went to the meeting just because I was going to go have some fun with my sorority sisters and I just was hooked. Um, the, the hearing the professor talk about the classes that you would take, um, it just interested me so much. Um, and to hear him talk about, um, there was one class in particular called Kitty Lit, which was like children's literature Kitty and lit. all the yeah, all the books that he talked about were just books that I had loved as a child, and it just really made me made me think, yeah, wow, maybe that it was kind of tugging at my heart. Maybe that's something that I should should look at. And of course, then I had some cousins. Um, I had three particular cousins um, that were in education. They were teachers, a little older than me, and I'd always admired them and and their love for their profession. I think I might um, know a few of those cousins. Yeah. You might know those ladies. And um, so that kind of weighed into my decision as well. So I ended up taking Kitty Lit um, and I took a history class that was the like educational history. And I, I was just, I was just intrigued. And by the end of my sophomore year, I had declared that major of education and the rest is history. Unlike many teachers these days, you've spent your entire career at the same school, the often imitated but never duplicated Bedford <laughs> Elementary School. So what in your mind, Suzanne, has been the most notable perks of your employment on the Bedford Elementary team thus far? Oh, well, for starters, um, Bedford Elementary School is really the, the heart of the community. Um, it is centrally located um, within our county of Trimble County. We have one high school and two elementary schools, um, Bedford being the largest of the two elementary schools. And when I say it's the heart of the community, it is. Our school uh, hosts so many community events. Um, from Relay for Life um, to all of our community youth basketball games and activities. Um, in our backyard area, we house the Trimble County High School baseball diamonds, the softball diamonds, the tennis courts. So not only are we um, here available for our elementary students, but the high school students and, and their families are here a lot as well. Um, it, it's just, um, such a supportive little community and Bedford Elementary School is right there in the heart of the community and, and I appreciate that fact.
Absolutely. So the, uh, the kiddos are on the same campus in uh, K through 12. Well, actually, our campuses are right across the road from each other. Oh, okay, um, I got gotcha. you. So. Um, um, it used to be that our two buildings were connected at one time, but eventually we were able to build our own elementary school. So we are now separate from the high school campus, but we are in close proximity to one another. Yeah, you share in a lot of activities and a lot of property. So, you know, it's, yes. <laughs> yes. you know, that's, that's the fun part. And uh, they stay in the same zip code, even, even if not in the same, even exactly. if not on the same campus. So there's, exactly. something, there's something to be said for that. Now, um, it goes without saying that the field of education has uh, treated you quite nicely, but any career path worth taking presents its own unique set of complications. So if you wouldn't mind, Suzanne, tell us about some of the challenges that you faced in your time teaching and the steps you've taken to conquer these challenges. Well, when I think of challenges, I, I can't think past the pandemic. Um, you know, this whole year I've said, they didn't teach us this in college. You know, this wasn't a course at Hanover College on how to teach um, during a pandemic. Yeah, so, nobody knew about COVID-19 back then. Exactly. <laughs> so just this year in itself has, has given us so many challenges. And with where we live in Trimble County, um, one of those big challenges was just getting to our students. Um, you know, last March, when we were unable to come to school, um, we were forced to go virtual, um, but many and most of our students weren't able to go virtual. We just didn't have those capabilities set up within our county. Um, our county does not have um, great access to Wi-Fi and internet services, and so um, getting access to our students was a huge challenge. Um, so even in last April, when we were trying to go on with school, um, we were we had to use paper packets um, and parents were so gracious to like schedule appointments to at least just come up to the school and pick up packets, pick up paper packets to take home to their students so that their students could, could work from home. And then oh, we had nice. a schedule where they would return the packets um, and we would grade them and, and we did a lot of communicating through email and phone calls um, just so that we could still have access to our students. Um, and that was a major, you know, a major challenge. Um, when we started to come back in September, things were a little bit better. Um, we did have a lot of students choose to come back to in-person. Um, uh -huh. But we did still have those that weren't comfortable to come. And so those became our virtual students. And, and we had about, I think, maybe 30% virtual students um, when, we came back, when we came back to school in the fall. Okay, but, that's not a bad ratio. Yeah, so, but um, our community person. really stepped up um, and to, to help with the challenge. Um, we, um, our Family Resource Center was able to uh, send out some hot spots and, and give those to, to parents that would be able to use those for their virtual students. Um, our local businesses and churches um, opened up their um, businesses and churches so that the students could come in and, and have time to work using their Wi-Fi instead of coming 
coming into our building. Um, and so the community really um, supported our efforts to um, teach in person and virtually. And we continue to do that still today. Absolutely. You're, you're more flexible because of it. And with all the hotspots now that are offered, you know, there's a lot more capability than there was a year ago. So yeah, we've made a lot of progress in a year as far as overcoming that challenge. No doubt. <laughs> Both you and the, the district and, and exactly. the community, all three of you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All three um, entities there. I have an, another challenge that is quite interesting. Um, I never thought that it would be quite the challenge that it was, but a few years ago, um, I had a physical challenge getting to work. Um, if you are familiar with our area, Madison, um, Indiana is separated from Trimble County, Kentucky by the Ohio River. And, and a big hill. <laughs> and we only have one bridge, um, the Madison Milton Bridge that crosses the Ohio right there between the two communities. Yeah. And um, that bridge was very old and it was in need of repair and it was scheduled to be repaired. And um, actually they were gonna build a new bridge and a lot of that was gonna take place during our spring break. So it wasn't gonna affect my commute so much. But unfortunately, um, the month before they were actually gonna close the bridge, um, a barge hit the bridge. Uh -oh. And so we were forced to, they were forced to close the bridge and we were going to have to drive commute all the way up to um, Markland Dam and then back to Trimble County, which is about an hour and a half drive. Oh, that's up towards Cincinnati, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so um, it was a challenge. What are we gonna do? Um, but we actually had a, a local dentist in town in Madison who um, volunteered to boat us across the Ohio River. There was a group of teachers um, that he, um, he actually would meet us at the boat dock at 6.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's dedication. <laughs> boat us across the Ohio River um, in an open little roundabout boat. Um, it was pretty chilly. It was about this time of year too. It was right before spring break. It was the end of March. And yeah, so I was say, it's, it can still get pretty blustery around the yeah, end of it was, March. It was, but I, it was so much fun. It was kind of exciting. It was an exciting challenge, <laughs> but we would bundle up each morning and meet the boat at about 630. We'd start crossing about 645. It was still a little dark and um, a lot of mornings the wind was blowing in the, uh, there was one morning, I swear there was snow flakes <laughs> floating in the air. I told oh them my when, gosh. I got, when I got to school, I told the kids I felt like George Washington crossing the Delaware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. But we were fortunate enough to have a vehicle on the other side of the, the river. And so um, we, he would bring us to the boat dock in Trimble County and we would get off the boat and get into our cars and, and drive right on up the hill to the school. <laughs> and so, and he would meet us in the afternoon and take us back across. So I cannot yeah. imagine being on a boat when it's snowing. About how, how long was that boat ride from Madison, Madison over to Milton? We, we timed it. It was about nine minutes. It only took okay. about nine minutes to felt, It felt well, more like 30 when it was snowing, I'm sure. It did. <laughs> we bundled up and we would hunker down in the boat so the wind was a little lessened and 
we made it. <laughs> there you go. And you've got a good story to tell now. Exactly. <laughs> How many teachers can say they rode a boat across the river to teach their students? <laughs> Not many. I knew there was a reason you were my first exceptional educator. <laughs> oh, <thank you. laughs> now, uh, anyway, Suzanne, you have a strong track record of uh, broadening the skills and minds of fabulous fifth graders. So uh, how, how many students do you have in your class? Just curious. Well, actually, Sam, I haven't talked to you since. I have transitioned from, from fifth grade. Last year, I taught fifth grade. And at the end of this year, we got the opportunity to have an intermediate interventionist, um, which is a person on this side of the hallway. We have a primary side of the hallway and an intermediate side of the hallway. And on this side, we have uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, and my principal uh, um, approached me about becoming the interventionist on this side of the, the hallway to um, kind of uh, intervene with students who might have any struggles with reading or math and maybe diagnose some of those issues and, and see what we could do to pinpoint those areas and maybe close some of those gaps with those students. And so I've actually been doing that this year instead of teaching fifth grade. So it's been a transition. Back, going back to your days and Fifth grade teaching, yes. though, uh, what would you say are some of the advantages of teaching fifth graders as opposed to older or perhaps younger students? Okay, well, um, I always found um, fifth grade was such a great time in a child's life. Um, if you think about in the primary, they were on the primary side and they were learning to read. Um, and, and, and that was so important that was building that foundation that when they crossed over to this intermediate side of the hallway, especially as fifth graders, um, we were reading to learn information. So they already had that foundation and fifth grade was the time to really excel them to learn new things um, that maybe they hadn't experienced before. Um, it really, it was a time to broaden their horizons. Um, for many years, uh, just up until recently, fifth grade was the last grade of the elementary school. Um, recently, we've moved our sixth grade back into the building, but um, for most of the years that I taught fifth grade, um, fifth grade was their last hurrah in elementary school. And so um, that was a milestone year, and um, we me and my partners, we just felt it was so important to make that really a special year. Um, and so we did a lot of um, cool field trips. Um, we tried to make it as memorable as, as possible. And, and the kids at that age, at fifth grade, they get your sense of humor. They like to laugh. They like to joke around. Um, but they understand that our job here is to learn. And it was just a, a, a nice age group to do both have a sense of humor, but yet buckle down and learn what we need to learn as well. They, they had the maturity to laugh when it was called for and buckle down when it was called for. Yes, exactly. So. And, and it was, you know, it, it, it's a lot different in fifth grade because I don't have to teach them to tie their shoes or blow their nose. You know, yeah, they have all exactly. that taken care of. <laughs> so Yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully, uh, you know, with any luck, a fair amount of the disciplinary issues that you deal with that the younger ages are out of their system by the time they get to fifth grade. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, we've, we, I've had my share of, of behavior issues, but nothing oh, I'm sure. 
nothing major, you know, I, they have been good kids and um, they were respectful and responsible. And, you know, I feel like we, we tried to make that such a memorable special year and they left my classroom. I, I felt they were very special to me. And I, I, I feel like we, we, we had that agreement that we had a special year together because it's the only year you're going to be in fifth grade. So we have to make that year um, a special year and make it worth yeah. every while make the last year of elementary school count <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> yes indeed now um, i know that you've taught multiple subjects um through your experience as a fifth grade teacher before you became a intermediate interventionist now that's a bit of a tongue twister too. it is exactly but, but uh anyhow no doubt all of these subjects were enjoyable in their own unique ways but if you had to choose a favorite subject to teach which one would it be and why definitely without a doubt social studies social um, studies and that was one of the perks of fifth grade as well. When our students came into fifth grade, we departmentalized, um, meaning that you had one teacher per subject area. And when I um, joined the fifth grade team, I got got the choice of social studies to teach. And it was just something that I had really enjoyed teaching. Um, social studies is just that subject that encompasses so much. Um, within social studies, I got to teach culture. Um, I got to teach history. I got to teach economics, geography, government. And when oh, you know. think about all those subject areas, it really goes across the curriculum. You know, economics, we used math. Um, history, we used reading, um, geography, we used science. So um, social studies was just a perfect subject that really encompasses a lot of different areas. Um, and I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Talk about your all in one. <laughs> exactly. Um, my students, um, we, when we would teach or when I would teach government and I would always teach the students um, the preamble to the constitution and I would have them memorize the preamble. Oh, I had and to memorize it back in the day too. Exactly. I still have students that come back to me or I see them at Walmart or I see them at the Dairy Queen and they'll say, I still remember the preamble. <laughs> Thanks <laughs> to you, Miss Conkle. Yes, it, that kind of does my heart well. I, I, I'm proud that they, they still remember it and hopefully they still live by it and they understand um, the values and the goals behind that preamble. Teaching strategies and uh, philosophies are uh, quite fluid and constantly changing these days. So uh, give us a few examples, why don't you, of how instructional practices have evolved through your two, or actually three plus decades yes. of teaching. <laughs> um, yes, instructional practices have evolved. Uh, but I think they have evolved, and I know they have evolved because students have really involved, uh, evolved over the time. At, over my 30 years, uh, the look of the student, the look of the family has really evolved over that time. And so we as educators, we've had to evolve as well. Um, and we've kind of gone from that, I'm teaching you this information or I'm telling you this information that you need to know to let's 
explore what you think you need to know or what you want to learn. Um, a, a lot, something that I've really enjoyed teaching is um, inquiry-based learning where the students are really um, asked to explore the subject area, question themselves, um, find information. Uh, they really take ownership in their learning, which I don't think we did back 30 years ago. Um, right. you know, I, a criteria of information that I taught um, and I tested them on those facts and hopefully they, they remembered them or mastered them. But now I think learning encompasses so much more of the whole student. Um, we we um, ask them to do a lot more, but we have a lot more technology and resources now than we did before, too. And there so we, we have to find a way to uh, allow those resources to enhance their education. Um, and, and, and I think that has helped evolve both education and the makeup of our students. Um, sure. Uh, I talked about how the family has changed too. Families are different today. Um, a, a lot of, most families have working parents and, and maybe not just a nine to five job that they work various shifts and hours. And so when our students come here, it seems like their needs are greater than maybe they were 30 years ago. Um, and I think that we teach more of a lot of their basic needs now. Um, we provide a lot of those supplies that they need. Um, I think we teach emotional, we, we uh, teach to their emotional needs and their social needs. Um, and I really think we are teaching to the whole student now more so than maybe Maybe we did you know, 30 years ago. That's to be commended. Now, when uh, reflecting on your noteworthy achievements as a teacher, uh, I know you don't like to brag, but we're going to drag it out of you. Which ones <laughs> have given you the greatest sense of pride and accomplishment, and what makes these so special in your mind? Okay. Well, I, I, of course, I'm going to start with my students. Um, uh, I'm most proud of my students that are adults now. Um, social media is just amazing that you can keep track of students that you had 30 years ago in your classroom. And oh, yeah. um, I, they reach out to me and we communicate um, uh, on social media. And it just makes me so proud to see them as successful adults. Um, their parents, they're, they're career-minded, um, they have families of their own, their careers of their own, um, they're business owners, um, they're professionals. It's just amazing to see all the students that I've had a hand in growing them to, you know, their success as, a, as an adult. Yeah. Um, one of my greatest, I, I, one of the greatest joys I had a few years ago in social studies, we always um, celebrate Constitution Day in September. Oh, and sure. um, don't you celebrate that, Sam, Constitution Day? Uh, it's on my calendar, yes. <laughs> I knew you would. Um, but we do in fifth grade social studies, and um, I had a student, she was actually in one of my very first. Um, classes that I started in Bedford Elementary School and she had grown up to be our county attorney. How about and, that? Yeah so using her constitution <laughs> in, in her position I invited her to my classroom to be the guest speaker um, for 
for Constitution Day. And that just stands out in my mind. I was so proud that, you know, I could introduce to those fifth grade students. This was a kiddo in my classroom many years ago. Yeah. And look at her, you know, she's, she's a leader in our community now. She and, was sitting where you are now. Exactly. <laughs> I just, so, so happy. So it, that's so gratifying when you gratifying when you go out into the community and you see ministers and nurses and hairstylists and business owners, kiddos that you had in your classroom and, and now they're successful adults themselves. And that really does your heart very well. <laughs> Plus when people ask, well, what's a big to do about Constitution Day? You'd be like, well, glad you asked. We got the county attorney here. Yeah, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then uh, professionally, I, I'm most proud professionally that um, I, I actually got my national board certification, um, which was very challenging. Um, and with that came my rank one, um, which, which I was very proud to, um, to, to be able to achieve those as a working mother. Um, you know, that was, that was a challenge in itself. Yeah, hard earned, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, so um, with the national board certification, uh, I was so uh, I was so excited to to pass um, all the assessments that go along with that. And one of the 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 coolest things about um, receiving that national board certification in the state of Kentucky, they like to celebrate their national board teachers, and so they invited us to Frankfurt for um, a day of reception. And um, so we were honored in um, the rotunda. And um, we, we, at the time, um, the governor was Steve Bashir, And um, so we got to meet him and, and, and he was, you know, very congratulatory. And um, so that was a special event in my career. Oh yeah, no doubt. That, and that entailed a lot of teaching by day and paper writing by night, I'm sure. <laughs> exactly, it was, exactly. <laughs> but getting to celebrate in the rotunda made it well worth it, I know. Oh, it was, it was, and that was a motivating factor. I wanted to be able to go to Frankfurt and celebrate. Uh, and it, it was actually, I, I was working on my national board during the time that I was crossing the Ohio River on the boat. <laughs> oh, so, gosh, that was an eventful semester, shall we say. <laughs> yeah, I actually had to carry my, um, at the time we had to videotape lessons within our classroom and do reflections upon um, some of the, those videotapes that I had to take from my classroom. And I would actually carry my little recorder across with me every morning or <laughs> so that I could make sure that I could take it to school and record my students' lessons, and then I would take the camcorder back home and be able to write <laughs> my components that went with my national board certification. So it was a challenging year, to say the least. Anyway, well, Suzanne, you've been great. We sure enjoyed talking to you today. I hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, I have. I've, I've had a lot of fun, Sam. I appreciate it so much. Well, <laughs> I've had a lot of fun. Now, last but not least, before we let you go, okay. what advice would you offer those who aspire to follow in your footsteps and pursue a career in education? Well, uh, first and foremost, um, I want them to choose education for the right reason. Um, you really, I, I know this is kind of cliche, but you have to have that passion for education. Um, it's a full-time, lifetime job. Um, it's always on your mind. If you're that teacher, um, you are always 
looking for ideas, innovative teaching strategies, a way to uh, motivate or excite your students. Um, and and it, it just, it kind of, it's a hard job because you're always, it's always on your mind. Um, and everything you do, you're always thinking, how can I bring this to my students? Or how can this apply to my classroom? Um, so yeah, the, you're always it, looking for tie-ins, even, even in your it, sleep. <laughs> exactly. And I do. I keep a little notebook by my bedside because if I think of something in the night or I see something on social media when I'm scrolling at night, I jot down a little note because that's just, as a teacher, I think that's part of your heart and your passion and your mind. It all goes together and it, it's with you all the time. Yeah. Um, number two, I would tell a new teacher when they enter a building like Bedford Elementary School, find a mentor. Um, seek out that teacher in the building that you think, wow, he's got it going on. Or I want to be like him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, 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 I'd hate to say stalk, but I, I was always watching those teachers. Um, Observe. <laughs> yeah, I was always watching them in the hallway when they were bringing their students from point A to point B. I watched their behavior techniques and their strategies and their incentives. And it was just those little things that I think, oh, I could do that. I could try that. Um, you would go into their classroom and, 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 and you just gain knowledge just from being in their classroom and checking in and, and asking questions. So yeah, find that mentor in your building that um, could answer all those questions and give you all that support. And then too, it could be the same person or a different first person, but find a teacher friend. Um, that teacher friend is going to be that friend that supports you because there's going to be bad days. Um, there's going to be days that you want to pull your hair out or there's going to be days that you want to cry um, sure. or there's days you want to celebrate. And so it's nice to have that teaching buddy or teaching partner or teaching friend that can do all those things with you. Um, yeah, you need somebody to celebrate with or, or vent to, either exactly, or. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, because teachers, we always try to stay positive, but there are those times that you might need to grumble just a little bit. And so if you just have that, that person that you can grumble to a little bit, get it out of your system, and then put your smile back on and, and go tackle whatever needs to be tackled. And last but not least... Um, I, I wish someone had given me this advice <laughs> as I started out. Right. Buy a yearbook. Every Buy a yearbook. <laughs> because you're going to look back and think, I had that kid in fifth grade, but I have no idea what his name is. <laughs> and so you could open up that yearbook and find out his name. Um, I was really good about taking pictures and I do have class pictures from most of the years that I taught, right. but I don't have their names with the class pictures. So I can look at the class picture and I say, I see these nice little students, but then I can't put a name with their face a lot of times. Yeah, so, that face looks so familiar, but I can't yeah. tell who it is. <laughs> yeah, and so a lot of times I'm spending my time thinking, now what was his name or what was her name? <laughs> so that would be my advice. If I had to do it all over again, 
just buy a yearbook every year and then you have it at your fingertips. You can just open up that yearbook and alphabetically you'll find that name. <laughs> Good frame of reference for your previous students. It'll keep you from losing sleep trying to dig out those. Exactly. And when you, and when you meet them at Walmart and when you see them at Walmart and they say to you, do you remember me? Oh, I remember your face. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't always remember. <laughs> yeah, faces are, are easier than names for a lot of people. Exactly. But anyway, so buy a yearbook, find a friend, find a mentor, and choose education for the right reasons. Those you are You got it. You got it. <laughs> Those are four wonderful pieces of advice, I'd say, for sure. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming on here with us. Now are you gonna be grading any papers tonight? Tonight I do I don't think I will tonight. I think I'm gonna take the night off from grading papers. We're getting close to spring break oh, so <laughs> that's true <laughs> kind of, that stack of papers could wait until spring break is what i'm thinking i gotcha plus you just slaved away <laughs> over this grueling podcast so you probably need a break but uh oh, no it was lots of fun sam it really was <laughs> well thank you a lot suzanne and uh we'll find some good reason to chat with you again sometime Oh, I would love to. I would love to. And I, I do miss seeing you so much. I can't wait to see you and your mom and, and, you know, have some family time. Yeah. And eat, drink and be merry. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you take care, dear. We'll do it again. Okay. Sounds great, Sam. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Gotta love Suzanne, proudly representing Bedford Elementary School as a great guest on our show. She gets us off to a rock-solid start with our exceptional educator spotlight. Now, I'm sure that a vast majority of us have completed at least our K-12 years in school, many of us beyond that, and even those of us who haven't quite finished our K-12 years. Chances are we've all been in school long enough to identify at least a few special teachers who have made a profound impact on our lives. And I want you to nominate these noteworthy individuals for future exceptional educator features. And it's easy squeezy. Bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com is my email. I'm readily available there. You can also message me this pertinent information via the Blabbing in the Bluegrass Facebook page. And I will do my best to see to it that these influential instructors receive the honor and recognition that they so rightfully deserve, okay? So, with that, let's turn our attention, shall we, to another tourist temptation. Now, as we know, there is nothing more tempting to many tourists than a great glass of wine, not to mention a winerita machine, plus a first-class wedding venue. And talk about your all-in-one, as Bill Patterson will tell us, we'll find all of these and then some at Pulaski County's splendid Cave Hill Vineyard and Winery. It's yet another Blabbit in the Bluegrass Tourist Temptation. Well, today we're featuring a very special winery. It's one of Pulaski County's best kept secret. Well, it's not much of a secret anymore, and it's about to be less of a secret after we give you the 411 on this enchanting landmark and they've really established themselves nicely in the area and become uh, quite a neat attraction for locals and out-of-towners alike they call themselves cave hill vineyard and winery i first found out about them in our recent discussion with michelle allen from the somerset 
Tourism and Convention Center. And so I thought it sounded like just the place that we needed to feature on our show. So here to tell us all about it is uh, one of the proud owners of Cave Hill Vineyard and Winery. Let's hear it for Bill Patterson. <laughs> Bill, thanks for joining us today, sir. Do you know Michelle Allen? I'm just curious. Uh, yes, I do. Yeah, she's good people. She uh, she and I had a, a nice chat. She was on uh, an episode of mine, I guess, about a month or so ago. So <laughs> you'll have to go back and check it out. But we're sure glad you're here. Of course, you and your wife, Debbie, own Cave Hill Vineyard. Now, how long have you and Debbie been married? Oh, gosh. Let's see. About uh, uh, going on 13 years. Okay, well, that's awesome. <laughs> you know, we, were, uh, we were the first people to get married out here, got uh, got married in 2008 out here. And uh, I rented the tent for the wedding, and it cost me $1,200 to rent the tent. So I thought, well, I'm pretty handy. I can build stuff. So <laughs> I started in the very next year, and uh, we, we've had weddings out here ever since. See, so you... You sort of started a trend there, sir, <laughs> and it's going quite nicely, I'll say. We'll talk more about your uh, your wedding venue on site, too, as we go along, because, yes, that is quite a, a popular place for weddings. But um, first, Bill, why don't you talk a little bit about your background, sir, and uh, tell us how you developed an interest in and a passion for winemaking. Okay. Um well, first, Sam, th thanks for doing this. This is uh, this is very nice, and it's it. Things like this are always a help to a small business. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you a lot, Bill. Your checks in the mail. <laughs> and the, the people at the you're right. The people at the Tourist Commission are awesome. They've helped us quite a bit over the years. Uh, let's see. To I guess to get into how how I got into to making wine. Well, I I drink a lot of wine. There you go. Uh, and at the time, um, the the closest place to get any wine was 51 miles away. Oh, um, wow. And so I thought, well, I'll put in a few grape vines and uh, see what we can do with it. And that's kind of that's kind of where it started. Um, so that was that was in 2005 that we we put the first vines in. And I was on a uh, a business trip. I'm a I'm an IT guy, or I was an IT guy. Um, I did call center technology for big banks for 25 plus years. Oh, gotcha. Um, so uh, I, I was uh, pretty engrossed in that. But anyway, I was on a business trip in 2006 in Chicago, and quite honestly, had had uh, a few too many beers sitting in my hotel room. <laughs> down and I laid out the whole vineyard on Marriott stationery and uh, went online and ordered uh, about $8,000 worth of grapevines and called my girlfriend at the time and said, guess what we're doing? Uh, <laughs> we're starting a winery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she still married me, so, you know, it's really <laughs> You didn't run her off. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's, see, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> so Very true. That, uh, that leads us into our next item of business here, Mr. Patterson. Why don't you fill us in on how exactly um, Cave Hill Vineyard and Winery first came to be and how it has grown and evolved since 
its establishment. Uh, 2005, you said, was the year that it started, correct? Uh, yes, it, uh, that's, that's when we planted the first vines. Um, we, we got the property in, I believe it was early 2004, and uh, just started clearing it out a little bit, riding four-wheeler on it and stuff like that. And, and once we planted the, the first grapes, um, we really liked the look of them, the symmetry uh, and, and just how, the, how you can look down the rows in different ways and everything lines up. And that kind of just kind of got us into it. And we honestly had not made any wine um, ever until we grew the grapes to make wine and that's that's kind of that's kind of how i taught myself um that and a lot of help from the viticulture uh, viticultural department at uk how many visitors do you get on a weekly basis do you know oh gosh in the in the winter uh it may be uh, five to ten a week in in the in the winter when it's cold uh sure people don't who drink uh, as much wine and uh, and they tend to get married in the warmer months as well. So we have kind of a slack winter, which is really okay because the summers are very busy. Uh, I, I would say in the in the summertime we get probably a, a 150 uh, 150 to 200 people a week, and a, a lot of that comes from the weddings, um, but. A lot of it is uh, walk-in traffic, too. Bill, what have been your most enjoyable aspects of vineyard slash winery ownership thus far, sir? Uh, probably the most fun for me, personally, is the look on people's face when they try the wine. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to see somebody uh, truly enjoy a product that you've worked so hard to, to, to put in front of them. Right. And that, uh, you know, I, I came from a background of, of, uh, meetings and conference calls with mad people because their system's down or whatever. And this is just dr drinking wine and talking to people is just a lot more fun. And I, I'd have to say that's probably my, my favorite part of it. In addition to Cave Hill, there are two other wineries in Pulaski County and countless others across the Commonwealth. So tell me, Bill, what is it that makes Cave Hill the king of the wine castle? <laughs> well, I, I, I can't say we're the king of the wine castle, but that is a nice phrase. <laughs> uh, <You> uh, <laughs> we very much uh, focus on our customers here. Uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of repeat customers, and we have a lot of uh, customers that become friends. Uh, it, it's it's not unusual at all to uh, be sitting here on a Saturday evening, and people know that we close at six or seven o'clock, depending on the the date. And and some people don't even get here till then, and we'll sit around and talk and drink wine, and just it just beca it becomes kind of a community hangout and that's that's a lot of fun there you go so if i show up at six tonight and hit you right out there you'll you'll let me in won't you not a problem brother <laughs> no, not a problem i'm kidding <laughs> i wouldn't do that to you but it is nice to you know be on a first name basis with 
so many great people and it's always nice to have those meaningful connections. Now, uh, Cave Hill is home to a number of flavorful locally produced wines to suit anyone's taste. So we're going to uh, walk our listeners through a few of these. And if you give us a brief description of each, that would be great. So you're going you're gonna to have to help me with some of these pronunciations. I think our first one is at uh, Chamber, Chamberson. Chamberson, yep. That's, Chamberson. That's, yeah, people pronounce it a, a, a couple of different ways. But uh, Chamberson, uh, pretty much every vineyard in the state is going to grow Chamberson. They, they call it the Kentucky Cabernet. Uh, if I have to say, it will probably end up being the the state grape. I don't know for sure, but it has a good shot at it. Uh, Maybe so. It makes a really nice um, red wine that uh, has a pretty easy finish to it. Um, let's see. The, the Traminette we also grow. Uh, Traminette is the state grape of Indiana, but it's a very... Uh, it's very fruitful and has kind of an earthy side to it. Uh, so it, it lends itself to uh, making different blends as well. Okay. Uh, let's see. Uh, we have also Cynthiana Norton. Right. Uh, Norton is a very uh, aggressive uh, grower for Kentucky. A lot of vineyards grow Norton. And it makes a, a spicy, peppery... Uh, red wine, di very deep red wine that is uh, similar to a Pinot Noir. It's about as close as we can get to a Pinot Noir in Kentucky. Okay, so if you're looking for a little kick, Cynthiana Norton might be the way to go. Mm-hmm, yep. Uh, we also grow a lot of uh, Cayuga White. Now, Cayuga was, was first cultivated in the Cayuga region of upstate New York, but it, uh, it grows very well in this climate zone. Uh, so, Cayuga is kind of a, it's kind of a plain juice. It, it uh, makes a makes kind of a plain juice, but it is uh, it lends itself to to being blended very well. So we make a lot of different blends with it. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we we process everything we grow, but I can't grow enough here to process all the wine that we need to make. Uh, so we do. Um, order juices from outside too and buy grapes locally when we can find them uh so number of berry wines right now we've got a uh, a blueberry that we called uh 2020 blues 2020 and, blues uh, yeah we that's that one's been pretty popular um we've got a red raspberry uh that we called crimson sunset and i've got a uh, a blackberry wine that um has been real popular for the last couple of years so we we do have some other things other than just the uh, just the grapes that we can grow. Absolutely, a little something for everybody. The uh, the Trimonette and the Chamberson both sound well. They all sound good. Those two especially sound intriguing to me. Which uh, which one of those would you say is is the sweetest? Um, well, it's kind of. Kind of whether you make them sweet or not. Uh, I would have to say uh, probably the out of those, uh, the uh, Cayuga White. I tend to to uh, sweeten a little more, and I, I make it into uh, a wine that that is called the Naked Lady. Naked Lady. <laughs> That's worth getting just for the name. 
Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, if you're looking for a little extra sweetness, Cayuga White might be the way to go. Now, uh, in addition to the fabulous flavors that uh, we just discussed, Cape Hill is um, also famous for a number of uh, brilliant blends with tempting tastes. So um, why don't you, Mr. Patterson, give us an overview of your blended wines and describe some of their unique characteristic. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. Well, the one I just mentioned, the Naked Lady, is a blend of Traminette and Cayuga White, uh, much heavier on the Cayuga White. Um, about 40 grams or, or so of sugar per, uh, per liter. Uh, so none of my wines, even the sweet wines, will run over the top sweet. Uh, there's a lot of wineries in the state that make them very, very sweet, and I don't make anything, I don't make anything syrupy sweet. I, I've found that my niche is more under uh, that sweetness level, and I, I, I think it has um, has provided me uh, a good a good broad base of customers because of that. Um, anyway, the the uh, some of the blends I've done though, I have one. Uh, called the Kentucky Coup Rouge. And it's the, something French. I only did that because my vines are French hybrids. There's no, uh, there's no French wine connection thing going on back there. I'm just really not a, not a fancy guy. Um, so that one, I couldn't figure out what to name. So I Googled it and came up with Kentucky Coup Rouge, which is French for redneck. <laughs> um, so I, I put a, a picture of my fishing buddy, Scotty, uh, on the label. He's truly a Kentucky redneck. I'm originally from North Carolina. Oh, okay. Uh, well, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Another one that's been real popular is the Kentucky Mulet, uh, which, of course, is French for mullet. Oh, there you um, go. Now, that wine came about because I had a, I had a very large tank of Norton, uh, spicy peppery red grape and I had just a little bit of blackberry that I was playing with and I blended the two and I mean just eight or nine to one just a touch of blackberry to the morning and sweetened it a little bit and found out that the sugar will highlight the blackberry flavor and not so much the grape flavor so at that point it was kind of a drier red with a sweet blackberry finish so it was kind of in the front and party in the back <laughs> there you go. We called it mullet. It has a picture of a, a guy on the front of it, uh, of course, with a mullet. Oh, how fitting. <laughs> it is. Uh, but, uh, other than that, I mean, we, we do, we'll, we'll make um, different kind of blends. I make one every year um, called the uh, Make a Lady Blush. Mm. And wine came about. Uh, I first made it about four years ago and um, it uh, I had a large tank of it and I could not figure out what to name it. Um, so it's a, it's a blend of uh, Cayuga White and this one has just a touch of blueberry to it this year anyway. I make it different every year. But what happened with that wine was I had, uh, I had a lot of it, couldn't figure out what to name it. So I sat down one night and I had about five glasses, which I do not recommend anyone to have five glasses in one sitting, um, but things happen. Oh, sure. And uh, I, I went on Facebook and I saw all my friends beating each other up over politics. 
So uh, in my uh, drunken stupor, I wrote a poem, which became the which became the the label. How about that? Uh, <laughs> so, so that that poem is uh, Our Lady Liberty is not amused, embarrassed, ashamed, perpetually accused. So whether your politics lean left or right, let's work together to stop this fight. Reach out to your neighbor, feel the rush. Use love, not hate, to make a lady blush. Oh, I love it. <laughs> that, that one, uh, I, I've had lots of people buy that just for the label. I have a, a friend who does my artwork in Nashville, and she's a tattoo artist, and uh, she drew me a picture of Lady Liberty blushing because I kind of think that's what she'd be doing. <laughs> well, that that's quite appropriate. And see, with that poem, you uh, <laughs> you certainly uh, found a way to be productive after those <laughs> five glasses of wine. So <laughs> I, I slept good that night as well. So. Well, <laughs> that's another added bonus. <laughs> now, um, in a recent conversation I had with um, Michelle over at the Somerset Convention and Visitors Bureau, she informed me that um, one of Cave Hill's most intriguing features is a winerita machine. And I have to say, that's the first time I'd ever heard of one. So for those who have yet to see one or sip from it, uh, tell us about this one-of-a-kind winerita machine. Well, it's, it's not really one-of-a-kind. I wish it was. I, I'd, uh, I, I'd probably be uh, driving a bigger boat right now. Oh. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's, um, it's, it's an idea that... Uh, uh, honestly, I can't take credit for for the idea of it or anything else. Uh, there's wineries have been doing uh, doing this for a while. We just we just brought it in here a few years ago uh, when, when the concept first came around. So what we do is we make a uh, a margarita, and it has a margarita base to it, just like the the Mexican restaurants uh, use around here, the green green base. Uh-huh. And um, we, we use wine instead of tequila. Uh, so it is a essentially a winerita, and uh, they've been very popular. Uh, we've got uh, one of our machines we keep down at the uh, farmers market in Somerset, uh, just to sell wineritas there. So they've been, uh, and we we sell them at all the festivals around here, and oh gosh, uh, several festivals across the state. A good way to think of it is just a, a margarita with wine instead of tequila so go on out there i'm sure you probably sell a handful of those on pretty much a daily basis especially in spring and summer oh absolutely yep, yep. <laughs> i know that machine stays quite active now uh, guided tours of cave hill winery are available by appointment so give us a brief synopsis of the Cave Hill tour experience. Well, we're, uh, it's not a very long tour. We're not, we're not as, uh, we're not as big, uh, as a lot of different wineries in the state. We've, um, we've got 21 acres here and, uh, when people come in, I typically will show them around the winery. We do the winery and the tasting room is in one building together. And, that's pretty, that's pretty easy to show people and I walk them through the process of how we make the wine. And a lot of people do want to see the wedding venue side of it as well. And sure. we've, uh, the uh, pavilion is 40 by 80 
and then we have, of course, the uh, bride's house and gazebo where most people get married, um, and then of course the bathrooms. But uh, a lot of people will like to will get a glass of wine and just walk around the property. We've uh, we've got a, a beautiful pond here with uh, what will one day be a waterfall going down to it, and um, a lot of people will just get a glass of wine or winerita and just kind of take a walk. We try and make it uh, clean and pretty like a park whenever we can. Well, that's to be commended, and I, I know that's just a an actually beautiful location. And um, do you uh, recommend people call in advance a day or so to reserve these tours, or not usually? Uh, most most of the time, if, if they really want to be uh, showed around, most people will call first. But we have a number of walk-ins as well, and you know I might make you wait ten minutes, but. Well, <laughs> that's worth waiting on. <laughs> so, anyhow, you won't be disappointed. Um, you can call ahead. You don't have to, folks. Just uh, head on out there and soak up the uh, the Cave Hill tour experience. Now, for the um, brides and grooms-to-be in our listening audience, uh, we can't neglect to mention that um, – Cape Hill is a scenic and breathtaking wedding destination. Of course, Bill was just mentioning the gazebo a second ago. So uh, let's expand a little more on that and um, explain what makes the uh, wedding setup there at Cape Hill uh, so attractive and popular. Okay. Um, we, we do we do quite a few weddings here, and the the feedback that we get – uh, for most of the weddings is that uh, we're willing to bend over backwards to, to make their day go, you know, however they want it to go. Um, so we, we basically will provide the, the place and the atmosphere uh, for them to have fun with their family. Um, and not a, it, it's not a stuffy or, or very formal environment at all. Uh, we do have some formal weddings here, but uh, the, the the great majority of, of our weddings end up being uh, just kind of get-togethers for the family. Uh, w when they rent here, they they have from nine o'clock in the morning until eleven o'clock that night. So well, I right, so got a fourteen-hour window. Right. Uh -huh. So so I encourage people to uh, bring their family out, have a picnic, walk around, enjoy the place. Don't, don't just use the facilities to, to get married, you know, use the whole facility and then have your family enjoy it as well. And that's, that helps us. Um, th there's a lot of places where they'll, you know, you have a set number of hours, get in, get out. Uh, we don't, we decided a long time ago that we were never going to try and do two in one day just for the fact that, if somebody is paying money to come to your farm, why would you rush them out to leave? And that, that, um, that's worked pretty well for us over the years. Well, no doubt. And so people can choose to get married in the gazebo, and uh, there's also the bride's house, correct? Uh, yeah, the bride's house. And, oh, gosh, there's, uh, we've had people get married all over the farm. Um, we've had uh, three or four weddings where people will set up uh, – want the chair set up in front of the vineyard and have the vineyard and the black fence as a, as a backdrop. 
Um, we've had people set up down by the pond on the dock. Uh, we have a deck that overlooks the vineyard that is a 19-foot octagon, so it holds about 35 people. And we've had a few small weddings up there. Um, so it's, the, the possibilities are endless. <laughs> oh, a absolutely. And, I, and that's one thing that I, that I tell people. Uh, I'll set up chairs for you anywhere you want them set up. It's just, you know, however you want to do it. So you, and I'm, <laughs> it gives them a little more freedom that way. Oh, indeed. It does. And freedom's what it's all about. So you can do indoor, outdoor, and um, regardless of how big your party is, what's what's the biggest wedding party you've had out there? Do you remember? Uh, we've had a little, little better than little better than 200. Uh, we had one that was 300 and some people, but they had to, they were such a big party, they had to rent an extra tent. Uh, and just kind of attach it to the building uh, in the back because oh, awesome. it's uh, rated by the state for 213, I believe it is. <laughs> gotcha, 213. I see. Well, um, that offers you quite a bit of flexibility, though. So talk to Bill if you're planning on getting married or you know someone who is, and he'll help you work out a plan to try for you and your gang trust me well uh bill you've been great i hope you've enjoyed it i sure have now um before we let you go in 30 seconds or less sir why don't you give us your best sales pitch for cave hill vineyard and winery as a pulaski county paradise for wine fun and fellowship um I'm not great at a sales pitch. Uh, the best thing I can say is uh, come for the wine and stay for the friends. Uh, we uh, we love helping our customers here. It's not just something that we do for a job. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And if it was just a job, I think that would be reflected in, in everything that you would see. Uh, so I would say... Uh, you know, come out here. It's a place where you can feel at home. Uh, and that's what it's all about. <laughs> and uh, you'll feel like family by the time you get out of there and you'll be uh, treated to some delicious wine in the process. So check him out. It's uh, Cave Hill Vineyard on Facebook and it's at Cave Hill Winery on Twitter. So you're never far from them. Why don't let's give them the address, Bill, and those winery hours. Sure. It's, uh, we're located at 2115 Smith Ridge Road in Eubank. Uh, the number is 606-423-3453. And we're open from 11 to 6, um, uh, usually through the winter and in the summertime, we're open from 11 to 7, uh, six days a week. We're closed on Sundays. Well, makes sense. Everybody needs a day off. So go on out there <laughs> and uh, check out Bill and his gang. How many employees do you have out there, Bill? Uh, right now, I have uh, two guys uh, working here that uh, take care of a lot of stuff that they're young strong backs and they're really good guys and i have another uh young couple that was married out here that um has come back and they clean up after the weddings so uh, we're able to uh give them a little side income as well 
So they'd all be glad to meet you. And Eubank, of course, is uh, Pulaski County, as we've been saying, not far from Somerset. If you get lost, just ask any of the locals. I'm sure they'll all be able to tell you where to find Bill. So <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you've been a blast, sir. And uh, we'll talk with you again sometime. Okay, Sam, thank you so much, man. Can't you just imagine how much more entertaining blabbing in the bluegrass would be if I had a glass of wine in one hand and a mic in the other? That might be entertaining in ways we don't want to think about. But I got to tell you, Bill really sparked my craving for a good old glass of wine. And regardless of what you've got in mind, with all those varieties, anybody can find something to suit their taste from Cave Hill Vineyard and Winery. And I certainly appreciate... Bill Patterson coming on with me to discuss his many unique flavors and special blends, his wedding space, and most importantly, the ever-popular Wine Arena Machine, which sounds oh so heavenly. Now, you can check him out online. It's CaveHillVineyard.com, and I will link you to the site in my show notes also. Now, prior to my chat with Bill from Cave Hill, it was certainly a pleasure visiting with Suzanne Conkle, fifth grade teacher from Bedford Elementary School in Trimble County, who served as our original exceptional educator. And hopefully the first of a number of teachers to be featured on Blabbing in the Bluegrass in the weeks and months to come. So send in those teacher nominations, will ya? Now, before we wrap this puppy up, I had the long-awaited answer to the Bluegrass Brain Buster from the beginning of the show. And this one gives us quite a unique taste of history because, uh, believe it or not, there is but one lone monument, not in a cemetery, south of the Ohio River, dedicated to the lives of Union soldiers lost in the Civil War. Your job was to name the Commonwealth community in which this monument is located. Your answer? Vanceburg in Lewis County. Yes, indeed, the community of Vanceburg is where you'll find the one low monument south of the Ohio River dedicated to Union soldiers whose lives were lost in battle. Now, according to an exploration of Kentucky history on KY.gov, this is a 34-foot-high monument found on the courthouse lawn right there in Vanceburg, and it was dedicated in 1884 to honor 107 Union soldiers from right there in Lewis County who lost their lives in battle. And as mentioned, this is the one and only Union Monument south of the Mason-Dixon line, not in a cemetery, erected by public subscription in honor of Union soldiers from the Civil War. So, quite interesting, at least I thought. I hope you did. We'll have another great Bluegrass Brain Buster for you next week as well as fun-filled, enlightening conversation, but it won't be the same without you. So come on back. In the meantime, email me at bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. You can also message me with your questions, comments, suggestions at uh, Blabbing in the Bluegrass on Facebook. I'd love to hear from you that way as well. And keep laughing and smiling until we meet again for more Blabbing. In the bluegrass. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. 
where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass with a fit for every taste. Precious time is not to waste.